CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Hash. Coming to you live from Consensus. You're watching Coindesk TV. I'm Zach Seward. We got Wendy O. We got Jensen Assey. We got Will Foxley. Whole gang's here closing out Consensus. Last day down in Austin, Texas. Now, I'm doing some good interviews on this show, and you may know that yesterday we had a real live alpaca, but that alpaca has nothing on our next guest. <laughs> he is the premier of Bermuda. Please welcome Premier David Burt to the stage, everybody. So welcome, thanks for being here. I know you have a main stage session a bit later today, so we're gonna get you warmed up. You can try out some material, some good bits. We'll see what we can do. All right, so Bermuda has been in the digital asset game for a minute now. Five I got, years. I gotta ask you, the Bahamas took a major black eye with the FTX implosion. You're saying that you have the regulatory frame, framework that could prevent something such as that, but I wanna get your personal take on your reaction to that implosion in November. Well, I think it was unfortunate. It was unfortunate for uh, the persons who lost money. Um, it's unfortunate for all of those persons who were lured in. Uh, but the fact is that it just speaks to the importance of making sure that you not only have a strong legal environment, but you actually are doing the regulation which is necessary to prevent things because it harmed the overall industry and it caused a lot of pain for a lot of persons. And so from that perspective, you know, for us, we were our regulator is very strict. So from that perspective, we haven't had any challenges like that in Bermuda. So operationally, like, what's the lesson? Is it, is it proof of reserves? Is it the separation of, of, of client and customer mm -hmm. funds? Like, like what, are you, what are the actual takeaways that you're using from FTX to inform your approach going forward? The only thing is that regulators have to be strong. They have to make sure that they're actually doing what they are supposed to be doing, and I think that's what we do in Bermuda. So no one comes to Bermuda to escape regulation. Our regulation is very tough. Our companies will say, you know, the BMA is firm but fair, but from that aspect, if you have strong and proper regulation that is actually being enforced, you can avoid things like that. Got it. Last one for me, then I'm going to toss it to the, to the group. Um, you know, Coinbase made some, made some major news when they announced that they were going to be setting up shop in the Bermuda. It seemed like a big win for you, especially relative to sort of this global race to court crypto firms. Mm -hmm. Take me inside that deal. What happened there? 
Well, I think what Coinbase recognized, which is what a lot of other companies have recognized, is that we have a superior regulatory environment. Uh, I remember I was at consensus five years ago when we announced that we would be tabling the Digital Asset Business Act. Five years on, uh, we provided regulatory clarity then. We have regulatory clarity for derivatives, staking, lending, all those various items which things which companies want. And so from that perspective, when they examined all of the various options, they uh, decided that Bermuda was the best place to uh, build out their global business. And so from that, we are heartened, but they're not the first big names that come to Bermuda, whether it's Block and Cash App or Circle Night Next Door, you know, XBTO, others that have been in Bermuda for a while that have full licenses that are continuing to serve uh, the world. So I think that we'll see more and more because it is, as I've said, a race to the top for regulation. And Bermuda has proven that we are a place that you can do that. You must have been pretty pumped. There was no like fist bump, uh, no like just like you're, you were you weren't fired up. There was no question. There was a celebration. <laughs> I mean, I, I was very excited, but I, I joke with people uh, because I um, every gray hair that I have. I say that it's something that I know that I can't tell anyone. Oh no! And so the, you know, we, we've been talking to them for a while. And I remember I was at the Satoshi Roundtable in Dubai, and they're having all these little meetings and all the rest. And I'm there with my team, and people are asking, "Well, Coinbase is there?" And people are asking, "Well, what is Coinbase doing? What is Coinbase doing? What is Coinbase doing?" And of course, we couldn't say a word. So yes, came in. more and more and more and more. So I have a question for you. I'm a very, very harsh critic about our public servants in the United States of America, especially the SEC, because we have no clear guidelines. Mm -hmm. For you, what is the motivation on actually having clear guidelines? And tell, talk to us a little bit about that. So, well, the, so the crypto companies can actually go there, mm -hmm. pay their taxes, mm -hmm. operate properly. Mm -hmm. Well, I think from that perspective, it's unfortunate what is happening in the United States. Um, and when we started our journey back in 2017, we said we're going to make sure we provide clarity. We define digital assets as its own separate asset class five years ago. Um, so you know what a digital asset is and what it isn't because there were some discussions about can we fit it into another piece of legislation and we realized that that would work and that was advised by our regulators. So we had that and it's set up there. I mean, I just hope that the United States can find regulatory clarity. But what we do, when we travel to the United States, I was in Washington, D.C. Uh, uh, last month, and we basically just tell them about what it is that it is we're doing, and we try to share that information. We share it with Treasury, SEC, um, and Congress, and all the rest. There are, not everyone in Congress is clueless to what is going on. There are some really good voices that they're trying to get this stuff done. But as you know, they're suffering from a little bit of an FTX hangover, so hopefully they'll be able to move things forward. Well, I think that Bermuda is one of my top five places to relocate now. So thank you. Well, it should be your top place to relocate, <laughs> not top five. Okay, you see no, what I'm saying? It's there because we, we have a license regime, because people want to work with regulators. And so our smallest license is a test license. It's not an easy license to get. It only costs $1,000, but it allows you to work with regulators. And when you're at a conference like this where there's people who are still figuring out what they want to do, it's an ideal place to test it, get some backing from a regulator, being able to work through those issues, possibly attract more funding, and continue to build out. And you don't even have to be on island to get a test license when you then graduate to a full sandbox license, then yes, we require people on island, but we want to make sure we support the growth industry globally. Thank you. Maybe we can do the hash live from, from Bermuda one day. Absolutely. I'd <laughs> like Coindesk in Bermuda. I, I, I would love to know how you're thinking about CBDCs. 
Well, the approach that we take to CBDCs is that we do not believe that the government should be issuing a CBDC. And so our approach is uh, we license stablecoin issuers, which is something else that is under DABA. There's a few uh, companies that have had uh, license-issue stablecoins, Jewel Bank, and I think uh, Block and Cash App have a license-issue stablecoins. Persons can issue stablecoins. We verify that they have the reserves. And from a country perspective, we will allow those stablecoins, which are issued under regulatory environment, to be uh, used for the payment of goods and services in the domestic economy and with the government. Do you think other governments should adopt this way of thinking? I am not going to tell other governments what to do. They can take their own choices. Um, you, you're trying to get me to step in a few landmines, and I'm not going to do that right now. <laughs> I just know the approach that, we, that we're taking. I love the Bitcoin socks. I got to note that first. Uh, I want to ask about international pressure because historically there has been movements by larger governments, especially we're seeing this in the G7 nations and G20 nations, to form policy on behalf of their neighbors. Uh, happens time and time again. Bermuda has been part of that. A lot of the Caribbean nations have been a part of that in the past. Is this issue going to be the same as we've seen in the past, just a different topic? Well, I think that it's convenient to uh, look at all international financial centers as the same, but that's not the case. Uh, Bermuda has a long history of regulation of financial services. Bermuda is one of the top insurance markets on the planet. We have Fortune 100 companies that are based in Bermuda, full offices, brick and mortar, uh, the entire mine management control. There's only two jurisdictions on the planet that have full regulatory equivalents with both the European Union and the United States when it comes to risk, and that's Bermuda and Switzerland. And so from that perspective, regulators globally know the standard of our regulation. They trust we participate in international uh, forums. We participate in all the working groups, whether it's IOSCA, whether it's all those other groups in the OECD. And so from that perspective, we believe that they understand what it is that you're doing. When Bermuda's legislation and its regulatory approach is being quoted, whether it's in Congress or whether it's in Europe, that means that people are taking note of what they're doing in that conversation. So we don't fear that. What is important is that you're actually regulating this properly. And I think what has been seen is that we do know how to regulate it properly and we're going to continue to be strong with regulation. Intermediaries for investment contracts, whether they're exchanges, brokers, dealers, clearinghouses, they need to comply with the securities laws and register with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Instead, many crypto platforms are just pretending that these investment contracts that they offer are more like goldfish. And the lack of compliance by these crypto platforms means that you, don't have basic investor protections. That was SEC Chair Gary Gensler in a new video. We have some dueling videos out yesterday. One from Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong responding to the SEC's Wells notice against the crypto exchange. And this one from Gary Gensler saying, you better watch out folks, I'm here to protect you. We had a few boo birds in the, in the audience with, uh, with the Gary Gensler video which is always fun for the live show. All right, so this is ramping up into like a major fight. We had Paul Graywall, chief legal officer of Coinbase here yesterday, talking about their approach to this impending fight with the SEC. And it seems as though Gary Gensler is not backing down when it comes to his pursuits of some of these crypto exchanges. Jan, I'm gonna toss it to you for your thoughts. 
what is the point of these videos? Like, I'm so sick and tired of seeing Gary Gensler's videos on Twitter. It's just like, it, every time we talk about it, I say, Gary wants to be an influencer. Like, what is this? It looks like a YouTube, no offense, Wendy, but this just looks like a YouTube influencer. I just wish that Gary would get into his office and start writing clear regulation and not issuing these videos because they're not doing anything for anyone. I don't think that retail consumers are watching this and going, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. I understand why I can't access an exchange and do something that I want to do with my money. And I don't think Coinbase is watching this being like, oh, this is why we got the Wells notice. There's absolutely no point, and it makes me mad. Will? I think I disagree. I think that you know, we, live, we, we live in a time where you have to be online in order to put your message across. He obviously believes in his message. I mean, he's willing to go to Capitol Hill and get grilled in front of everybody, even though whatever he was saying was quite unclear to the audience. Yeah, communicate to people out what, what you think, and this is the easiest way to do it. I do love the back and forth, and I hope there's more videos, honestly. No, I hope we have way, way more videos. Clear regulation. I hope we have two, three videos from him a week. Coinbase comes back at him. We just keep going back and forth. Okay, so this, this is the thing, though. Like, Gary, if you're watching this, I would love to consult with you on how to become an influencer, especially a cringe influencer like myself. But this is the thing. Like, if you look at these videos on Twitter and you look at the mentions, it is atrocious. Like, people are so mad. They are so upset. They're absolutely slamming him. There are zero words of encouragement. Nobody is agreeing with him. And also, too, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Crypto Twitter, one thing they do do is keep receipts. They went back to his MIT teachings. They have pulled media from that and continue to post these just to prove that he might not necessarily be qualified for the job. So if he wants to be an influencer, good for him. But again, get back to work. Our, our, the public servants are funded by our taxpayer dollars. And I feel like he's not doing anything really to protect the industry. If anything, he's done a lot to actually damage the industry and hurt retail. One thing that's interesting about this is the comparison what's going on with Ripple Labs and their fight with the SEC. So back in December of 2020, I believe it was December 2020, Zach, fact check me live. I got the nod. Okay, probably correct. Around that time front, timeline, uh, Ripple was sued by the SEC for its issuance of the XRP token. Ripple Labs has still been in that fight with the SEC for all this time. We're still waiting on the decision there. But there's a lot of similarities between the SEC possible case against Coinbase, just a Wells notice at this point, so we don't know if there's an actual case, just a Wells notice, and the actual regulation that's coming against uh, against. Ripple Labs. And there was some fight there, right? Like at the same time, Ripple Labs put out a thought piece in Fortune talking about how this was unfair. There was a lot of verbal fights online. And I think this is just new battleground for regulators, right? 20, 40 years ago, you didn't have this. You didn't have an open platform called Twitter to be able to dunk on your regulator of choice. Now you can do that, and we're going to see more of it. And we're going to see some fisticuffs. People are going to come back with their videos. They're not going to be well produced, but they're going to be there. I'm here for it. I mean, I think the dueling videos is a nice feature of the messaging <laughs> it's good warfare, content. right? It it's helps good us content. out on our show. These are two people with strongly held views. The SEC under Gary Gensler has long stated that it sees most of the assets in the crypto world as digital securities. And the way that they're trying to choke off some of that seems to be going to the exchanges, which wouldn't have proper licensure to list these securities because there really isn't that framework there just yet. So you have this strongly held position, you have Brian Armstrong and Coinbase also with a strongly held position. They're duking it out in the Twitter vids. I mean, ah. But this is the thing. He's telling, talking about intermediaries, crypto companies, um, exchanges coming in to like register with him. 
but the folks over at Coinbase said, we will meet with you 24-7, 365, just tell us when, tell us what we need to do. And again, they approved Coinbase um, to go public. They have, a, they have a song. I mean, that was the funny part of the, of the Paul Graywall video. It was like, name the place, anywhere, any place. It's a we'll show it out. We'll it fight. No showdown. knives, no guns, fists only. <laughs> it was like legit, like, let's do this. And so, hey, I'm glad. I think the timing, they both came out around the same time. We were trying to figure out which one went live first. So it's not like they're in direct conversation with each other, but certainly both sides see getting these videos out and telling their side of the story as really important to establishing public opinion on their side. And I mean, it's fascinating to watch in my opinion. Yeah, we had A16Z head of policy, Brian Quintez, on First Mover this morning, and he said, you know, what Coinbase is saying is absolutely right. It is so hard to actually speak to the SEC. Everything that the SEC is saying, come in, talk to us, register with us, is not actually what the experience is like for a lot of the companies that are trying to come in and register and have civil discourse with the SEC, but at least we get these fun, fun videos that we get to talk about every day at noon. When am I going to get a TikTok of him, though? I would. I really need get him on, on TikTok. Page. Maybe he needs a consultant, and we can just uh, get Wendy in there. Employment for employment for me when they um, ban crypto completely in the U.S. because that's where we're heading towards. All right, we're going to leave that one there and move on to a story about Web3 Gaming. So Epic Games alumni Severs, Mike Severs, will join Web3 giant Yuga Labs as their CTO, the former executive vice president of development, is said to be an integral part in building out the games, experiences, and entertainment that they want to do in the other side universe. I spoke to CEO Daniel Allegre this morning on First Mover. He's super excited to have another person from Web2 Gaming join him over at Yuga Labs. Zach, I'm going to toss this one off to you. What do you make of this? A bunch of Web2 Gaming execs coming over to Web3 Gaming, building the future? Like, I guess it's kind of like bullish for Web3 Gaming at face value, but, but then again, maybe not. You know, we've seen this play out with these crypto hiring cycles where like people from TradFi start flooding into the crypto world and it doesn't always sort of level up the performance of those companies. I think sometimes we assume that these are going to be like game changers for these firms to bring on this type of talent when often it's sort of those more like Web3 native, crypto native, DGen types who get these brands into the world uh, in the first place. So I, I guess I'd put the question back to you. Like, why is Yuga so excited about this hire? Like, what about this particular person's set of experiences can really make Web3 Gaming click in a way that we haven't seen to date? Yeah, so I asked Daniel Allegra a similar question uh, this morning, uh, and I phrase it in a way that like Web3 Gaming is really tough right now, right? There's a lot of issues for game developers when it comes to interoperability, SDKs, wallets. It's just tough to build and tough to play. And his hope was that this new CTO is going to be able to address some of those issues. So I will say that thesis I think does hold true when you talk to people in Web3 Gaming. So maybe from that perspective it makes sense. You get someone who can get like good games into the world and then you kind of figure out the financial back end at some future point. So I think one of the problems that we see in like the crypto industry, when I say crypto I mean Web3. To me it's all together, but it's like our industry moves so, so fast. Like 
this. And in the gaming industry, it takes time to build a good game. And I feel like we kind of forget about that. And then we hear these great partnerships, everybody gets super excited, and they expect something to be built like a week after this person has been hired. And again, you guys, like gaming, like making quality games takes time. Plus you're gonna have to take that Web2 aspect, make a great game with it, and then kind of integrate Web3 or integrate crypto, however it is that they're doing it, and make sure that it makes sense. And then on top of it, if we're integrating like cryptocurrencies to these games, along with NFTs, we have to deal with the tokenomics as far as economics go. And I know a lot of the people that have released games in the Web3 space like the last couple years, they are now kind of, kind of having to scale back a bit and say, you know what, we made a mistake, we have to hire these economics to, um, you know, to make sure that everything on the token part works properly and that the games are actually sustainable. So again, still early, just be patient. I gotta be careful what I'm gonna say, because Yuga Labs will sue you faster than you can say Board Ape Yacht Club. Uh, and I'm not really sure where I wanna go with this one. Uh, I think I'm with Zach in that translating across different industries, whether it be Web3, Web2, TradFi, crypto, doesn't always make sense. And in this case, what Yuga Labs sort of has done here with its decision to go from NFTs into gaming might make sense on paper, but it's pretty difficult to land, right? A lot of these firms have failed to do so. Most of the GameFi stuff to date has just been Ponzonomics that have ended up bankrupting people or completely sputtering out. And to Yuga Labs, I mean, the stuff they've made isn't really in my own personal taste. So I don't know if I want to play the game. That being said, Epic is an interesting company. They're in this ongoing dispute with Apple, which is definitely more of like a Web3 thing, right? They want to have like open access to the internet. They want anyone to be able to play their game. They want to take all the revenue. Apple's been taking a lot of the revenue. And I think there's like some points that we can kind of pull on and say like there might be some symmetries here. Overall though, not a huge fan. Zach? Yeah, well, time will tell, am I right? Time will That's tell. That's my line. Gotta see, yeah, that's a safe, that's a, that's, a, that's a safe harbor. But maybe we just need another crypto phone to come out, like the other 300 million that have failed in the last run. Oh, saga phone, saga phone. I should also probably disclose, I work for a Web3 gaming DAO, so I'm naturally optimistic. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just well, hope this is better than like the Eminem Snoop Dogg video they did for Super Oh, Bowl. you know what? You, oh, yeah, that was awful. You're such an old man over there. Yeah, for a young awful. person, you really hate a lot about pop culture. We're going to get into some Bitcoin stuff, of course. So Jack Dorsey's block snaps up Bitcoin mining chip as Intel winds down production. I believe they're scheduled to wind down their production in April of 2024. And I think that this is a very exciting story. Bitcoin, everybody loves Bitcoin. Most of the people that are here um, got into crypto with Bitcoin. And Will, I actually wanna to toss this to you because you're our mining person. I am not the most tech savvy. I just know that we need Bitcoin miners. We need to support them because we need that network to work. And we won't wanna operate in a true decentralized economy. That's right. Uh, this story in general is just speaking to the fact that Big players come into the industry and big players leave the industry. And there's still other people who will pick up the chips and keep playing. So Jack Dorsey left Twitter a little bit ago, been focusing on Block, formerly Square, he's the CEO of that. It's a top 50 bank within the US and they are focused on Bitcoin. They have a subsidiary called Spiral, which is working more on the tech side of things. They're working on a lightning development kit and they're working on Bitcoin mining with the end goal of decentralizing Bitcoin mining. How to do that when it's 
highly industrialized? Well, the best way is probably to help increase the different manufacturers of ASICs, these Bitcoin mining machines that you'll see at sites in Texas, like in Austin, uh, or up in North Dakota and Canada. Uh, Bitcoin mining was largely in China, but over the last two years, it's moved to the US, it's moved to Canada, and it's become a pretty open game for other people to get involved with manufacturing. And that's where Intel jumped into the scene almost about a year ago to the date of consensus as of last year. And as of this year, they've already jumped out because they decided that the cost and the money just didn't really make it worth it. That being said, they still have some chips to make these machines available and Block went out and purchased these. There's a few other companies also purchasing these chips, but they're smaller. They haven't deployed them to date, really. We've sort of been waiting for anyone to make a machine using Intel chips. I have two questions for you. One, was Block developing their own chip before this happened, and are they winding that down now? That's a good question. I don't have an immediate answer. This article does say that they right now are purchasing the chips because they don't want to continue focusing on that. I don't know how far they got into the chip development. It's a pretty specialized industry. A lot of these machines cost more than your house and they're located in Taiwan, so it's not very easy to make them. Uh, they're also wanting three nanometer chips, which is the newest in chip technology. It's very, very tiny. It's like thinner than your eyelash. Uh, right now, a lot of people use five nanometer chips and they're going to three nanometer, so Block wanted to purchase available ones on the market. Okay, second question. Is mining still profitable? Yes. Is it? Jen, we still have Bitcoin. We wouldn't have Bitcoin. I know we have Bitcoin, but like, is this a- 30K Bitcoin. Tell me about the business model. Yeah, no, miners definitely had a tough uh, 2022. Like, a lot of people in the crypto industry, uh, anyone who had took on a lot of debt, anyone who was like uh, perma bull, you probably got wrecked. I like to say that Bitcoin miners are the most bullish out of anyone in Bitcoin because you are constantly buying Bitcoin from the network in exchange for electricity, and you constantly have to be buying Bitcoin, otherwise you have to shut down your operation. And when your operation consumes as much energy as Houston, well, then you have to buy a lot of Bitcoin. And last year was kind of tough, so you got wrecked a little bit. I'm still just appreciating how you said pick up the chips and it works both ways. <laughs> that you. was an amazing metaphor. I just don't want that to be lost in the flow of this conversation. Good one by you. That was nice. Thank you. Thank Block you. remains interesting, right? They have a lot of experiments around Bitcoin specifically because Jack Dorsey's really into it. I think he is a good sort of emissary for Bitcoin, right? Um, he's a little bit more left, I think, in the political spectrum. Sort of like the Democrats in Congress arguing for crypto rather than like Republican emissaries arguing for crypto. So I think from a narrative perspective, the fact that Block continues to invest across a bunch of different aspects of sort of the Bitcoin tech stack remains super interesting and suggests that they're here for the long haul. So uh, this, is, this is interesting, I think, that they're ramping up hardware stuff, they're stepping in. I know you mentioned previously that Intel kind of produced a glut of these chips and there were some of them on the market. So they see opportunity there and they're gonna pick up those chips. Where others, where others fold. I will say I wasn't the biggest fan of Jack Dorsey for a very, very long time because I don't understand how you can be pro-Bitcoin but also be pro-censorship. It doesn't make sense to me. But I will see, say that he's putting his money where his mouth is. He's actively trying to contribute to the network, trying to contribute to the community, and also to um, help us get, hopefully, better regulations in regards to Bitcoin. I won't say crypto, though, because... <laughs> okay, we got more Bitcoin stories for you guys. 
And I like that. I like that we're focusing on the good stuff. No more NFTs, no, 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 nothing else. No altcoins. We're talking about Bitcoin. Okay, three headlines for you guys really quick. First, long-term Bitcoin holders are profitable for the first time in 11 months. Bitcoin miners too, Jen, according to Bitcoin data. Bitcoin held on Binance surges to record high of 692,000 BTC. That's the highest since the collapse of FTX in November. And for our last one, Bitcoin is po poised to reclaim crypto spotlight. That's according to a research group. I like all these headlines. I don't know about you guys. I mean, it's good stuff. Wendy, as a trader, what are your thoughts on these? I mean, everybody actually loves to trade Bitcoin. Like, that's generally the first asset people go to trade, and I still actively trade Bitcoin. Um, I don't think that Bitcoin never left the spotlight. It's always been a very big conversation. Also, too, I'm very into, like, SEO and paying attention to what's trending. Bitcoin has, I think, I want to say on TikTok and on Google Trends, Bitcoin has the most hashtags in the entire crypto industry, which is important to note. The reason why is that's what people are looking to when they, like, look for different crypto news or NFT news, et cetera. So that just goes to show. And then in regards to Bitcoin miners finally becoming profitable, that makes me happy. And I will say that way back in 2017, there wasn't a lot of resources for Bitcoin miners. They needed to take profit. They had to sell their Bitcoin. They had to go to OTC desk. Now we have different types of loans that they can get and all different types of services, which are actually helping the industry so that these miners don't collapse, get liquidated and have to sell everything and kind of restart fresh. Because as you know, building a mining farm is very expensive. It's, it takes a lot of time and we need these for the network. I mean, I'm with Berenberg. I think Bitcoin has kind of lost a little bit of that spotlight. Uh -oh. it's, the, it's the OG, it's the one that got most of the people in this room to start with. But for a long time, there wasn't much to be said about Bitcoin. Ethereum was advancing with the merge. There was all sorts of cool stuff going on there. The future of finance was being built on Ethereum. Now you have Bitcoin reclaiming the spotlight because you have things being built on it. You have ordinals, which kicked was, off a lot of I was going to say that ordinals yeah. kicked off kicked off this a lot potential of bull run. We love ordinals. And then all of a sudden you have a banking crisis in which Bitcoin is seen <laughs> as like a flight to safety. So the fact that sort of those narrative things are like clicking into place and people are sort of seeing Bitcoin in a bit of a new light, like makes me agree that it is a bit of uh, a reclamation of the spotlight relative to Ethereum and other uh, quicker and more exciting networks out there in the world. But hey. Fair dad take, fair dad take. I'm with Zach on this. We talked about NFTs for so long and all this other stuff. And now we're talking about like the Bitcoin white paper being on, on Apple computers. We're talking about Gary Gensler saying Bitcoin is potentially the only crypto that's not a security. Now. And I think Who knows that, in a month from now? What? Who knows from a month from now? You Who never... knows what that man will say? Can't tell <laughs> with that man. Can't do it. <laughs> but I mean, I think, I think there's a regulatory angle here too, right? Bitcoin is not being looked at by regulators the same way as all other cryptos are. And so I think it's it's being seen as a little bit safer, especially for people who are getting into the space, learning about Bitcoin first, because let's face it, Bitcoin has that brand behind it when we talk about cryptocurrency. And so I, I think it makes sense that, that Bitcoin is redeeming the spotlight. And now we even have NFT projects that are on top of Bitcoin. And so yeah, I'm man. with it. Yes. This is the Ms. belt. This Ms. is the B. bell curve. Yes. This is the bell curve. Here's the midwit takes right here. You guys are on the ends, all right? <laughs> which one's which? I don't know. Hard to say. Oh, Hard you know what? Say. We're getting a ring next year and gloves oh. off, man. Gloves right. off. 
together a little interview for you. So Web3 Entertainment Company, Toonstar, is gearing up to release a new NFT-backed animated TV show called Space Junk. Joining us now to discuss is CEO of Web3 Entertainment Studio, Toonstar, John Atancio, and Space Junk creator, Dominic Russo. Hello. Hello. Hi. Wonderful to have you here. We can see <laughs> Space Junk on yes. the screen. Yeah. You know, we were talking Good. so much good. about NFTs and animation. I want to say like six months to a year ago, it got kind of quiet. Tell me about the project and why you think now is the, a good time for it. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so this is our third series in a year. Um, and, and we're, uh, you know the, the project itself is like it's uh, it's about um, really the uh, these unsung heroes who are uh, astronauts that are basically keeping the Earth safe from like the mess that we've made as humans on planet Earth. Uh, and so the the creative aspect of it is 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 awesome. Uh, the project itself it's a it's a Web three uh, community driven series. So there's a pretty um, heavy um, you know store, uh, a uh, community participation element to it. Um, and it's uh, it launched. Uh, we're launching on Theta blockchain. So we're actually we're a multi-chain uh, story studio, and this is our third blockchain that we've launched a, a project on. You know, every time I we talk about these stories, I bring up when Netflix tried a fan engagement uh, element to one of their series, and it completely flopped. Now we've introduced Web3 to the mix. How are people reacting? How are you actually going to get people to interact with the content? Yeah. So um, yeah, the flop. Thank you. Is that that's uh, that this this is uh, so we did, and I think a best sort of thing to point to is our first project was called the Gimmicks, and the Gimmicks was actually the um, it was the first weekly community-driven animated series in Web3. We co-produced it with uh, with Mila Kunis, um, and we actually did two seasons of that. So uh, the second season was called The House of Chico, uh, which actually was the first all Latino animated series in Web3. And the interesting part, and the part of the story we like to tell about that is that second season, House of Chico, actually came from the community. So the way the participation works is um, there are different ways for community to get involved. One is that the episodes are sort of like choosing an adventure. Um, at the end of each episode, the community gets to vote on what's going to happen next. Um, there's also a thing we uh, created, it's called a wiki, and the wiki you use to basically create, it's like fan fiction, so you can create backstories for your characters, side stories. Uh, and the way that House of Chico came about is that we saw some amazing stories come out of the wiki, and that actually became the foundation for the, the second season. Um, we also created a thing, and I, I can't make this up, but it's, uh, it's, we were told it's the first social layer in Web3, uh, and it's called the Dick Punch. Uh, um, now, we spell it differently, which stands for Decentralized Inclusive Community. Um, but basically, w the way the community uses a dick punch is they use that to vote on the episodes. They use it, it's like our version of the Facebook poke. Uh, so they, they send each other DMs, messages. Um, but it really is like the projects we do, the heart of them are storytelling, great characters, and community involvement. Um, and so those are examples of how you know, the communities get engaged. Um, and so we're doing the same model for, for Space Junk. Can get your thoughts on sort of the creative process and how it changes when you're writing for engagement? You know, like uh, sure. how you kind of approach, I guess, inviting members of this community to make their voices heard, how you kind of figure out how to press their buttons so that that engagement is there. Is that like a different process on the creative side or is it pretty much the same as? Yeah, I mean, the, the, this first season we have to sort of lay the foundation, get the story and the characters out there. And then once, once the season launches, um, you know, the community I think is going to start to weigh in in a way that I have never done before. So 
I'm just excited to see what they're going to come up with. Like I've seen what Toonstar's done with their other shows, and you essentially have this writer's room. You know, a typical writer's room's 10 people or something, and you're coming up with your best ideas, you know, from nine to five. Now we've opened it up to thousands of people, right? So you're going to get thousands of people sort of pitching stories, coming up with backstories. I think we're going to get a little of everything. You're going to get terrible ideas, and you're going to get really great ideas that you could have never thought of on your own. So, as as a creative or a creator for the show, I'm like excited to you know come home at night and look through uh, the new pile of character bios, and you go, oh man, like. That's just out of my personal creativity range, and so people will come up with amazing stories, and I get to rip them off, you know. And, and I don't, and hopefully, <laughs> less work for me, you know. I'm, nice. I'm in. Nice. I'm, I'm excited for the potential of it, is essentially, yeah, that'd be great. So I'm a big proponent for NFTs because I really think that they do help the creator economy, especially for like the old school music men, a lot of the artists, et cetera. I grew up around a lot of those guys. Um, and in my previous job, I worked in healthcare and a lot of my clients actually worked for Disney and they worked at Disney when they were doing, they were doing the hand-drawn stuff and then they kind of merged over to digital. But how do you see Web3 kind of fitting into that mold? Like what can we expect with Web3? Because we've seen such an evolution thus far. Yeah. So it's specifically like anime, like animation. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, I mean it's great, great. So, so I think, um, and and like we're very comfortable. So like I think best way to describe us is like we're part tech, part creative company. Um, and so on the tech side, we've been using we actually been u using machine learning, um, which is a type of AI in production for years. Uh, and and so what that allows us to do is we can do. Um, high quality animation very quickly. Uh, for us, it's important, the speed is super important because when you think about going direct to, you know, direct to communities and consumers, mm -hmm. uh, you really need to be there when they're there and like sort of expect the cadence they're looking for. A lot of that has sort of been, uh, that behavior's been uh, trained through social media. Uh, and so production side, I think there's been a lot of innovation, certainly things we've been using to help the, you know, speed up the, the production. Um, and then we're starting to experiment with, with AI in other ways. So this, the, the other, I think, you know, really fun um, sort of highlight of Space Junk is this is the first animated series that actually has an AI-voiced uh, character, um, which, you know, I think we're really excited about. It's, uh, you know, the... Um, uh, that's a way to use it on the production side, but the, the, the other way we're using AI on the community-facing side is that the character, her name's Welbecca, and she's a robot, so she's actually going to be the portal where, for, for where the community members can go in, and basically, again, this whole idea of, like, Welbecca is your creative co-pilot, and so if you're a creative or a creator and you want to come up with stories, side stories, spin-offs, you know, whatever it is within the, the Space Junk universe, Welbecca is going to be your creative co-pilot, and she's going to help you generate the these stories. And so for us, like thematically, it's just, it was a great fit. Well, Beck is also going to be managing our socials for, for the, the, yeah, for the, for the property. Um, but I think that's like a really interesting sort of like use case for like how like these new, these new, you know, new technologies can be used not only in the production side, but also like on the community facing side to really like deepen engagement and make it like a fun, cooler experience. Thank you. I'm curious about the Hollywood side of things, specifically with like the piracy and all that. Web3 does open up like new contract levels where you can like protect yourself, protect the artist, fund royalties to artists. From you guys building this out, but also getting engagement from fans and like building ideas from a fan base, how do you guys like put all these groups together and protect your own IP? 
Yeah, so no, that's a good, another good question. So, um, I mean, as far as like the, the IP, generally we approach it from like, um, uh, like a Canon standpoint. So the IP itself that, you know, that we, we create with, you know, with Dom and, and uh, you know, the, the rest of the, 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 the team owns is actually separate from the IP that gets minted um, f with the NFT. Um, and there are different ways to, you know, like there are different projects, you know, you guys know, and there are different ways to sort of structure that. Um, but we generally keep the Canon separate. And then what we do is we use the NFT as the access point for the community. And that's basically your ability to earn your way into the canon. So if you're writing killer stories and you, you write some, just, you know, House of Chico, another great example, where someone, you know, contributed to that story and then they became part of the IP with that second season. So we're giving people a chance uh, to get involved in the IP through, you know, they're really their efforts. So it's not just, you know, what I'm born with, with my NFT and, and the, you know, how rare it is. Now I actually is going to require my effort and work and creativity to get into the, the main world. And so that's at least our kind of philosophy. All right, we're going to press pause on that conversation, but these guys are brave enough to field an AMA hash style. <laughs> you guys can ask any question about this project, about the hash. We want to get you guys involved. So if you have a question that comes to mind, flag Nicole over here with the mic and just shout it out, okay? We got about three minutes if anybody has it. Until then, we're just going to keep pressing on, all right? Anybody? Any takers? Brave Bueller, souls. Bueller, <laughs> Bueller, Bueller. Nada. All right, that's fine. That's fine. All right, so I got a question for you guys. Are you guys really going to walk the walk on this decentralized governance thing? You know, say, say someone comes up with a terrible idea. It's like the Bodie McBoatface, like <laughs> Web3 edition, right? That's a great idea. Are you going to go with the voice Stolen. of people? Or yeah. are you guys going to, like, step in and disregard what the people end up voting on through this, uh, through this mechanism? That, I, I feel like that's really what it comes down to. Like, a really popular, dumb idea. Are you guys like, okay, yeah. we're decentralized? Or are you like, no, we're, we're reorging the chain. We're not doing that. Yeah. I, at the expense of losing your, your community, I think, is, 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 is what you're going to be making the choice, right? If, if you go against your community and then they revolt and kill you, uh, I, I think you have to go with what they vote, you know? I mean, that, that's going to be the exciting part. And I'm, look, like, I, I generally trust these bigger groups to, to find the best decision. And, and I think the community will call out the bad decisions within the community. So unless it's a giant troll, which would be hilarious, <laughs> if they're like, let's all get together and pitch some terrible stories for these guys to make, and that's what happens, I mean, that's a, that's a fun story. I'd be like, F it, let's like, let's go down this road. Yeah. Nobody's even, nobody's done that. No. It's a very yeah. crypto I you, problem. I think you go with yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the only thing I would add is, I think there's this, there's this idea we talk about is like if you're going to, if you go to the airport, there are different ways to get to the airport, right? Like at the end of the day, you know where you're heading. And I think that's where it's like our approach is like we're working with, you know, some of the best storytellers on the planet and they're the creative vision and, and creative mind for where the project's going. But there are many different ways to get there and there are a lot of different ways to let the community sort of like guide that journey. Um, and it's through either through voting or it's white space on the wiki. Um, but I think it's running that balance is like how we're, we're trying to approach it. All right, well, thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate you taking the time chatting with us, John and Dom. Go check out Space Junk. We saw the world Space premiere, Junk. the grand debut of the first episode uh, yesterday at Consensus. So thanks very much for being here. That's it for us at Consensus 2023. I saw the dates for 24 are announced. Go check that out. Late May, early June next year. Same place. We hope to be here.
and we thank you for being here this year. So thanks for everybody being here. Big round of applause for our guests. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.